What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today and welcome to the Parents Engaging Parents Block Talk radio show. I have two amazing guests. We want to have an opportunity to say thank you once again for listening in, tuning in. Today is our actual first recording of our show, 2019. We want to take it up some levels. You know, we don't maintain, we always elevate. We want to make sure that we're giving a platform for our parents to have opportunity to hear, listen, and view in to the conversation. So first, I want to send it over to our guests and thank our guests for coming. First, I want to come to, over here to my left and introduce our guest. Can you introduce yourself? Um, obviously, I know you, <laughs> sure. but could you let the listeners and the parents just know and understand um, who you are and also what you bring to the conversation or education, because that's definitely <laughs> our self-interest here at Parents Engage Your Parents. Sure. Uh, Hi, everyone. Kyle Rosencrantz. I'm the executive director of the New Jersey Children's Foundation, and we're a nonprofit group that aims to promote a fact-based conversation about education uh, starting in cities like Newark. Uh, I'm also a civil rights attorney um, and have worked on a variety of cases that involve the civil rights of students and in education, housing, LGBT rights, and a handful of other issues. Okay, thank you. Um, and over here to my right, I want to bring in uh, my brother, who is a friend of the show, actually was on the first recording of our show back in 2017. I want to thank him for bringing his voice and his knowledge, yet just like Kyle, myself, his also voice as a parent, which is never taken from any of us. That's our badge, and we wear it strongly, yet I also want to bring his, um, his voice to the table. So if you could introduce yourself, my friend. Well, always good to be here with you. <clears throat> love you and love Kyle as well. Love, love you both. Um, first of all, I'm a parent of two babies uh, who attend public school, public charter school in the city of Newark, where I'm from. And my family comes from uh, from Jamaica, ultimately, which means I got a whole lot of hats that I wear because um, we work multiple jobs. And so I'm a partner at a law firm called Lowenstein Sandler. Uh, and I'm a civil rights lawyer as well. Uh, I, and I run several uh, education advocacy organizations. Education Reform Now, Education Reform Now Advocacy, Democrats for Education Reform, and what we do is to push for policy solutions uh, that will expand parent and student access to high-quality public schools. And so, you know, that's been my work for about 20 years now, and I'm excited to be here with you. Well, thank you, Trevor, and thank you, Kyle, for coming today. And I have a topic that been brewing, has been surfacing, and I always like to go straight to sources, people who can share some light to our parents, you know, not taking away from our own ability to be educated on these topics, yet we want to have some layman discussions, you know, we could break it down from our lawyer levels down to our, our, our level where we can really have discussion about this topic. So this topic is segregation in our schools. There's been discussion about this. There's actually, from what I've heard, actually a lawsuit that was put on the Department of Education. There's been 
also um, implications of how even maybe charter schools are also a part of segregation. So we want to get to the conversation. We want to understand what this is and where we're where where we're really going with this topic and even education in a whole. So um, feel free to jump in um, and and and, ha- and and really give us an understanding right now where the current issue of education, excuse me, segregation in New Jersey is. Um, yeah, happy to start. Um, as many people live here in the state know, New Jersey is one of the most uh, racially segregated states in the country, uh, like a handful of other Northeast states. Um, the uh, a group, several groups filed a lawsuit last year. Um, their allegation was that the way we organize school districts, basically by requiring you to go to a public school within the boundary of the city or town where you live in um, uh, has the effect of, of continuing that segregation pattern is because it makes it ingrains it in our school systems. Um, and uh, it was a coalition of groups, um, you know, and uh, that's the starting point for this discussion. Those groups said that the, the patterns of segregation that show up in our school system uh, violate the New Jersey state constitution. That's the primary issue. Um, there are a whole host of issues below that. That was kind of the, the start of uh, this litigation and the, the issues in the lawsuit. How would the lawsuit affect the 1.4 billion students in our state and the parents that are the guardians of these children, if any? I'm skeptical it's going to affect them much because I'm skeptical there's going to be any remedy that is really going to bring about meaningful change. Um, you know, as Kyle pointed out, uh, you know, our, our state is very racially segregated, and that's not by accident. You know, that's by design. Um, we have 566 school districts, uh, and those school districts generally map with the ways in which desegregation orders have, had, have happened over the last 50, 60 years so that we get, you know, low-income primarily black and brown urban areas that are concentrated in the suburbs tend to be, you know, predominantly white, some increasing number of people of color in some of these suburbs. Uh, then we have the school assignment coterminous with the school district, which means you go to school based upon where you live. And of course, in order to live in a certain type of place, you got to make enough money to live in a certain type of place. Exactly. And then the tax base is based upon that as well. So it then just sustains the inequity. And so, um, there's not a political will, I don't believe, uh, to fundamentally dismantle those premises because they've worked pretty well for the majority of residents in the oh, state, okay. majority of white families as well. And it would be very disruptive. And so we've seen that over 50, 60 years that when there have been meaningful desegregation orders, uh, we've seen strong resistance uh, from the majority population. And so I don't expect, and again, I'm middle-aged now, maybe mm-hmm. I'm coming too cynical, but I, I'm, I'm very skeptical that there's going to be a remedy that will really bring about systematic change. And so that's why I doubt whatever happens here will really will really be that material. And speaking, you said that you believe that you doubt that there's going to be systematic change. Can you speak a little bit on that? And I mean systematic change in terms of racially integrated schools. Okay. And so I think there's other things that we have to do, um, you know, and some of the people behind the lawsuit, because I agree with their fundamental premises that racial segregation is a problem. Yes. It's a problem that's longstanding in this country and in this state, and it generates all types of harms, including educational harms for not only students of color, but white students as well, right? So we can unpack that if you want it, but it generates harms broadly for a variety of different populations. 
Um, but nonetheless, because of the way racial stereotyping and misunderstanding works, there's a lot of people committed to the way it's been. And so many of us have been saying, look, if communities are going to be predominantly one or two races, we got to educate the babies where they are. And while it'd be great for everybody to learn a racially integrated schools because it breaks down racial stereotypes and people learn that we're all the same things you would hope human beings already know. If people for whatever reason aren't bought into that and are going to, and are going to engage in, you know, widespread resistance against that, then my personal view is I'm not trying to force my children on somebody who doesn't want them. If you don't want my babies, I don't want you to have them. Understood. Right. And so, so in any event, on the racially integrated schools piece, I don't think see anything systematic happening there. But I think there's other things we can do to bring about more education opportunity. Um, and I do, to that point, <laughs> want to unpack that because this is a platform for us to really speak to parents. Period. Whichever color, creed, race. And so, I would like to unpack that a little bit for our parents to understand how it affects the um, our, um the other ethnic um. Um, backgrounds of, of students and parents in our in our state. So if you can um, dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's some ugly history here, right? It's that in the ni- <clears throat> in the 1950s, with the Brown versus Board of Ed decision, the Supreme Court established this principle that separate but equal is unconstitutional, and that um, it creates harm on children, as Shavar mentioned, but um, uh, that division is inherently unconstitutional. And so it started by attacking segregated schooling in the South. And as that migrated to court cases and uh, school systems in the Northeast in particular, you, and by the time you got there, you're already in the 1970s, and families, political systems started rebelling against that once we started force busing students, for example, okay. across okay. the state. And, that, and then with the change in the courts and other things, that whole system of court-mandated integrated schooling started breaking down. Um, it remains to be seen whether this case and the remedies that the lawsuit in New Jersey is seeking, how they would be any different or how they would result in any different type of outcome. Because what people have shown is if you have means, if you have money, and um, it, you will generally not voluntarily participate in that a type of integrated schooling system. Like it or not, we've just seen the kind of realities that America still has deep racial divisions that we haven't healed despite rhetoric and, and, you know, gestures to the contrary. We still have a lot of work to do there. And um, with a court order just telling people what to do, um, it, it didn't work so well in the 1970s and remains whether it would work in New Jersey now. Actually, that was a question that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the one of the questions the parents had um, suggested, and what are, what were some of the challenges that we face it in um, segregating schools such as transportation? You kind of touched on that, touched on that a little bit if we can, because I believe the history of where we where we were will help us understand where we need to go. And I, like I said, I'm not the guru of education, hence why I bring you guys to the table, other experts and supporters of education to bring the real content. So a little bit of deep into that as far as those challenges that were faced because we weren't there. We don't know these challenges and we didn't pick up the book to read about it. We didn't watch the documentary. So we could touch on that a little bit. Yeah, just one extra note there. The, you've heard the concept <laughs> of magnet schools. And yes. So the, the idea is that through sort of magnetic energy, 
you could attract different racial compositions of families okay. to schools in order to address integration. They were a tool to integrate schooling. And so um, there are kind of two ways to do it. You, you create a fancy magnet school in an urban area that will attract basically white, well-to-do families from the suburbs into an urban area. And DC has had some success with models like this. Um, or you create very fancy schools outside in the suburbs that attract those upper income, often white families, and also then transport urban, often students of color out. And um, Connecticut has experimented probably the most with this. Um, and so that's kind of um, where the rubber meets the road on these transportation issues. Now I want to um, because so when we talk about education, and I'm always up front with this on the show, um, my children definitely go to a charter school here in New Jersey. And obviously I want to understand the angle that the lawsuit has when it comes to the charter schools, I believe, um, practicing segregation or there may be signs of segregation. Where, I guess where is this coming from? Is it something that we you've seen or understood? And um, I think it's important because, like I said, I, my children don't go to the magnet school. They're not in a traditional public school, but they are in a public school, which is a charter school. So how does the char- how did the charter get involved in that lawsuit, or how, did, how is it impacting the charter on uh, um, being a part of this lawsuit? Yeah, so from, from what I understand is that the advocates behind the, off, behind the lawsuit are making an argument that uh, the charters are um, – a problem when it comes to the goal of integrated schools because they tend to be heavily one or two races. Um, and I personally, that's a red herring um, and just is misplaced because the reason that the public charter schools tend to be overwhelmingly black or overwhelmingly Latino or black and Latino is because they're housed in cities that are already residentially segregated, right? And so um, Newark, you know, where you know, my kids go to public charter school as well, um, there's not a lot of white people there. And there's not a lot of white people there because they moved out off, you know, uh, the majority of which in the aftermath of the riots around Newark, you know, South Orange, you know, West Orange, Montclair, et cetera. And then we now have these school lines, which says that that basically puts a wall educationally around those municipalities. So if you care about kids in Newark being educated well, and if you wanted some alternative to the traditional district created a charter school, there's not many white folk around uh, to be educated. And so the fundamental idea that, that we shouldn't have, you know, district and municipality-based student assignment because that perpetuates racial inequity, I think is a good one and a smart one. It's just unfortunate that apparently the, the advocates wanted to add the charter schools to it because the segregation of the charter schools is the same, is symptomatic of the same issue in terms of why the district schools are segregated. There ain't no white people there. They're like, it's not any fancy sort of thing. Okay. They're not there. And again, part of what I push on is, um, even if you get a remedy and get some schools that are what I call spatially integrated, okay. if the educators don't want to serve all kids, I can't have my kids there, right? Because you can have a spatially integrated school where the numbers have, you know, 30% yeah. black students, 30% Latino, you know, 30% white, 10% Asian. Um, but if the black students are going to be tracked to remedial courses, if the teachers aren't going to believe in the more brilliance of the students of color, right, if they're going to be sent to the child study team, we don't need that. So that's where I always push my advocates. You know, my first job as a civil rights lawyer was the NAAC Legal Defense Fund, which is the primary legal organization that pushes these things. Okay. So conceptually, I think, is a great thing. 
But there's a guy named Derek Bell who kind of broke off from that 30, 40 years ago because he said, these people don't really want us, right? And, you know, and we wish they did, and we wish we could all get along. But if they ain't going to want us, I'm not going to force myself and my babies on people that don't want us. We can't ask for how it should be. We got to respect how it is and then work on that. (laughs) And that's what the charter, the the charter schools are largely, um, and that doesn't mean there aren't some issues in the sector that have to be addressed but fundamentally are saying that we got babies going to school every day right now in these segregated communities that, are, that can learn at a much higher level if we provide better instruction, curriculum, pedagogy, and we got to be able to do that now, not wait for the Shangri-La when everybody can go to school together and get along. Even though we may all want that, that doesn't seem to be grounded in reality. Oh, I, so, um, and, I, and I would be remiss to um, not also bring into the conversation as I move across the state of New Jersey, engage your parents. Obviously, I have met charter schools outside of Newark, and um, there the push is like maybe like Central Jersey. There's charter schools in that area, and they have been um, pushed on as far as being a part of segregation to the point of maybe not promoting or advertising to the population of you know Latinos or African Americans and more towards other um, backgrounds and, you know, conversations like that have been put into the mix of the segregation of what charter schools are doing in other regions where they're not going after the, you know, like you got charter schools and, you know, and I think it's a charter school in Belleville. I mean, not in Belleville, um, Belmar, you know. So there's charter schools that are not in North and not in, matter of factly urban areas, and they're being right. also spoken on as far as visions or missions of segregation. And you know, like I said, I, I, I have to be all the way up front with these type of yeah. things because we need to get to the information or even the perception of it. That's well, right. the interesting thing that comes up there are two things. <clears throat> Shavara, this is where I think a well-intentioned lawsuit goes off the tracks. This is a charter school issue here. Um, one, uh, the lawyers, uh, most of the legal advocates involved in the case, Okay are suing in this case, alleging that urban charters are, are making segregation worse. Um, they're causing it. Um, they're also in those suburban charters, that many of which are more racially integrated than the school systems that they're neighbors with, um, are alleging that those schools are unconstitutional and um, illegal, mm-hmm. when in fact, uh, take a school like Ola Charter School okay. in Hoboken. Hoboken, yes. The, um, that school actually reflects the actual racial makeup of Hoboken um, better than the city school system does because the, the uncomfortable reality is the white families in Hoboken don't trust the city school system to send their kids there. And so it, it depresses the number of white students there. Okay. But if you ask the Census Bureau, the federal government, who lives in the city, and what is their racial composition? It, it looks like Ola's student enrollment. Oh, okay. um, and so, but that school was sued. The district spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to stop that school. Mm. Um, and so this is like a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation where the integrated schools are being sued at the same time that um, the schools that are focused on urban communities and often the most um, uh, you know, educationally uh, uh, disenfranchised communities, they're also being attacked as saying they're part of the problem as well. Um, and so I think it reveals a kind of ideological bent 
to this part of the conversation rather than a, a, a true policy problem. And, and, and that's why, like I said, I really wanted to have this conversation because even to me as a parent and as a, as a black man in this community, when the word segregation is put out there, especially when we're talking about schools, you, you get that look back like, how? <laughs> we, you know, so I, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys um, joined us today. And as it always happens, the time is flying. And I know I don't have you guys, but for so much, we got a, uh, a Friday. And I know in your world, in my world, Friday is another day. <laughs> you know, we still got to grind. So we can just, you know, both of you guys, if we could, just leave the listeners with something and an understanding of where do we go from here with this discussion or this conversation. I personally am looking to even having um, a gentleman, um, Dr. Um, Surkin, come on and join um, this podcast to talk about that topic of segregation. Um, I know his school is in the middle of some of this information, this energy, excuse me, and I would like for him to have an opportunity to discuss it. So I'm looking to even having another part two of this conversation because, I, like I said, it's not just black and white. It's right. human beings, That's and right. we need to understand right. how we're going to educate our babies, period, mm-hmm. regardless of what school they go into. That's and right. if our taxpaying dollars are going to go into it, we have a, um, we have a seat at the table of this discussion, but we want to be more um, orientated with how we do this. So you guys can give me, you know, a closing and help us as parents understand where we could go with this discussion, this conversation. Yeah, well, I would say on the, on the positive side, I think we can as parents and as advocates push systems to do all they can within their framework. So even notwithstanding some of the critiques I personally have of the lawsuit and some of the claims in the lawsuit, um, I do absolutely believe very strongly it's, it's, it's better for children, it's better for our country and our state. Where we can where we can spend time with each other, where we're proximate to one another. Exactly. And so I think we can push school boards, superintendents, charter leaders, district leaders, that within the context of your environment, how do you create more integrated schools across all types of domains, class, race, religion, ethnicity, nationality. Um, that may mean transportation, because we even have within cities very segregated neighborhoods. Um, so if families don't have access to transportation to get to a school, that's going to simply perpetuate a lot of these inequities. So I think that's very important. Um, I also think there's a, a, a series of, from a policymaker standpoint, you know, most of the white families in the state of New Jersey aren't really being educated well. Most of them are not the wealthy folks that oftentimes get talked about. Most of them, frankly, are in the Kearneys and the Nutleys okay. and the very blue-collar communities in Bellevilles. And when you frankly look at their outcomes and where those students are going, um, they're marginally better than students in the, the inner cities, but not much. And they need, you know, they need some interventions. There may be potentially some opportunities where we can walk, we can work across some of these lines there. Uh, but then I think the bottom line is the foundational um, principle that I would urge all parents and families to focus on is uh, accountability around student outcomes. Okay. Right. So at the end of the day, all of these pieces I think are very important. But obviously, the overriding purpose of a public school is to educate the children. And so there has to be accountability for the adults in that building and also accountability for the parents and families to do their piece uh, to make sure that the school is really set up and, in fact, is educating kids in a way that prepares them for their future. No, definitely. And I definitely believe in that. Kyle? I mean, that, that's where I was going to end was I, I think it's important to remember at the end of all of this, um, what matters most is can our children read 
right to math at grade level, get to college, get into that job, and have a better life than their family had, or than their parents had. And so, um, who's in the seat and how the racial composition of school districts and the data goes into that? Um, that's an admirable goal. It's it's important. It's something we shall strive for. But there are places in the state right now that are proud of their racial integration, but have deep racial isolation in terms of students that aren't leaving school ready to succeed. Mm -hmm. And we can put everyone together, but if the, if all the kids in that school don't learn in an equitable way, it doesn't matter. And so you, you have to do both. And, you know, New Jersey has been more advanced than most at trying to get there. So hopefully we can show the other states how to do it. No, I would definitely, definitely into ending mass um, production and educating our children. Our children need to be taught individualized. Everybody's different. We keep saying that as adults and professionals, you know, when it comes to educating our babies, they're all the same somehow. So I definitely am um, a believer of that. And I want to thank you once again to coming on board on our show. And I want everybody to understand that the mission of Parents Engaging Parents and this blog talk is definitely for every child, regardless of where they live, deserves the best education that our state could provide. And Parents Engaging Parents has always been there to establish that parents and guardians have the opportunity to be advocates for the education of their children and also to be the full partner of their children's education experience. This is a coalition of parents throughout the state of New Jersey who are like-minded in this thinking, and we need a platform to be able to share our voice because we want to make it be understood that the voice that's going to be a part of changing the dynamic of education is going to be the parent voice. So we thank you guys for coming on board. And this is a series of that's open to you all, so please come back. Your, your residents of this community. We want you guys to use this as a platform. You guys are involved in education topics. Feel, feel free to come back and bring these topics to the table so we can get it out to the masses. So I want to thank everybody for joining again and look forward to our next show. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram. Definitely connect with me. My number is 973-486-5051. I'm here to engage parents, engaging parents. Thank you. Have a blessed day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.